0: So we're going to go over a review because this whole first chapter sets the foundation of where we're going. Um, you know, when they talk about the book of Revelation, everyone likes to jump into the, you know, the, the woman and the, the dragon and all those things that are going to be laid out in the Antichrist and stuff like that. And those things are important. But it's important to lay a good foundation of why this book is important and, and who is giving this book of prophecy to us. And, and so that's why I believe that laying the foundation will help us to go forward. So in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near." First of all, this is from Jesus Christ. And the purpose is that Christ wants to prepare us for the moment that is to come. And he, is, he has given this to John, who is a witness to the things that he heard and he saw. And there is a special blessing for us, special blessing for those who read it aloud and who hear it and take it to heart. And the reason why this is so important, because the time is near. The time is near. We also see in verse 4 as we continue on the Trinity that is going to be laid out here. In verse 4 it says that John to the seven churches in the providence of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before the throne, and from verse 5, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. We have the Father who was and is and is to come, He is the one who will guide us in the past, who will continue to look over our future and is with us and is still in control today in our presence. We see the seven spirits, the the full sevenfold of the Holy Spirit as as revealed in Isaiah 11, the completeness of the spirit that is here to help us learn about Jesus Christ. And Jesus is revealed here as the faithful witness, the one that you can trust. He is the firstborn from the dead, the one who is Lord over the church, Lord over us us because he rose from the dead and he is the ruler of the kings of the earth he is still in charge over every single authority here on earth and john now is about to give an overcharacterization of overcharacterization of who christ is he's going to further explain the description of jesus because it's important to know this overcharacterization what do i mean by overcharacterization i want you to 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 give you a little visual of what it means. I have a verse, Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read here as an example. Matthew chapter 6. It says this, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father. Then your father will reward you. This verse right here is an example of getting the meat and potatoes of the verse. But Matthew gives us what we would call an overcharacterization over description of what these verses in these verses so let's go ahead to the next one this is what it says and when you pray do not be like the hypocrites Now he's going to explain why he's going to give a little example for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full. Now, Jesus could have simply said, do not when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. But he wants you to understand why they are hypocrites. And he gives this characterization of them. And then we continue. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. And once again, Jesus wants you to know that your Father is unseen. Your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, and again, another overcharacterization, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, If we read this without the the extra details, we can get the gist of what Jesus is trying to tell us. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father, then your Father will reward you. But Jesus wants you to understand, number one, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be like them who who love all the attention on them. They got the reward. But when you go and you pray in your room by yourself when no one else can see you, your Father who cannot be seen sees and hears everything. Every single thing you've been praying for, and He will reward you. Why? Because you do it to the one who is unseen. You don't have to stand on the street corner and pretend to be the most holiest person. You don't have to go around and prove that you are the strongest spiritual person of faith. You just know that you are doing it behind the scenes and you trust the words of Jesus. So, this is an example of what it means to have an overcharacterization of the scriptures. And John is going to give us some more explanation, some more details of why we need to understand that this is important to know who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And so if we look at verse 5 again, it says, this is from Jesus, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now we're going to explain why to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, who has made us uh, to be the kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Here we have a description of Jesus who loves you, Jesus who forgives you, and Jesus who changes you. These three things, John wants us to understand in a deeper level, in a deeper sense, so that we can appreciate what is going to be spoken to us. John says, to him who loves us. Jesus loves us, and it means to cherish, to show love and strong affection, to commit to someone that you care for. Love, his love was demonstrated by the sacrifice of what he has done for us. And so this morning, I want to give you just a few things about love. First of all, Jesus has true love, and true love is giving. True love is giving. Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Love is willing to give up yourself for someone else. John 15.13 tells us, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down their life for one's friend. Love is not just about giving something, but it's about giving everything, every part of your life. Love must be willing to give and must be willing to give it all. Jesus loved us and he gave it all. Jesus loved us and he was generous with his love. Look at John 17 where Jesus is praying for his disciples and he said this, I've made known to them, and he's praying to the Father, I made known to them, And will continue to make you known in order that that the love that you have for me may be given to them, that I myself may be in them. Jesus is not just being selfish with the love that he has with the Father, but he is praying, Father, please make it known to them. Let them know what kind of love this is between you and I. He is generous and generosity is a part of true love. If you love someone, you want to be generous towards them. You want to be generous towards them because of the, the, the feelings and the emotions and the excitement that you have from within you. You want to share it. And true love is secure. True love is secure. Paul talks about in Romans 8. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes on and tells you in verse 38. That I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons nor this present of the future nor any power nor height or death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that God has in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul was secure knowing that the love he has with the Father will never be separated. The love that he has for Jesus, nothing in this world will ever separate that love. It's secure When you allow things to come into your relationship, whether it's with someone that you care for, whether it's a child, or whether it's between you and the Lord, whenever you allow something to come in between that relationship, what happens is, is I always describe it as a wedge, as a wedge, and sometimes things happen where it wants to put a wedge between me and my wife, between me and my kids, between me and the church. And between me and the Lord. And if we allow those wedges to enter, what happens is is that, I don't know if anyone ever cut wood, but when you chop wood, you take that little wedge and you put it in there and you tap it in there. And you tap it in there just enough so that it stays. Because no one wants to hold that while I grab this big old sledgehammer and just boom, you know, and just go on it. And you tap it in there just enough to stay. But what happens if you keep tapping? This little wedge that is so sharp and small begins to divide something that was so strong and secure. And if you want to have love that is secure, you cannot allow things to come in your relationship with the Lord. Jesus is someone who loves us. As John said, he is the one who loves us. And he To him who loves us, Jesus loves us, and it is a love that is giving, it is a love that is generous, and it is a love that is secure. John continues to describe Jesus as someone who forgave us. He said, he freed us from our sins by his blood. To free us is to grant freedom, to to loosen, to release all that you have experienced, the burden of being locked up and imprisoned and robbed from your freedoms and restricted from your rights. You know, all of us have felt that experience where we have been locked up, we've been in prison, we've been robbed of our freedoms, we've been stuck in prison. All of us experience this, it's called school. Right. When you go to school, you are in prison. You are locked up. And what happens? You can be having a whole day in school and it's just long and it's just tiring and you're bored out of your mind and you just can't think you can't even go on for a minute. You look at the clock and a half hour later, you look and it's only moved like 30 seconds. And it's just that burden of being locked up. Your freedom is gone. But then all of a sudden, as the bell rings. All of a sudden, there's this great release of joy, and all of a sudden, you got the excitement of being released from the burden. This is the experience that we find in forgiveness. Jesus has given us the freedom that takes our life that has been burdened and locked and imprisoned and releases us because of forgiveness. How does he forgive us? He forgave us by his death. In Revelation 5-9, it says they sang a song. And they start to sing this to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. Jesus purchased it. And we have experienced the freedom of forgiveness because of his death. We've experienced this freedom in life because of his death. But we experience the freedom in life because of the payment that he gave us. In Galatians 3.13, it says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. We have been redeemed. We have been redeemed because of the payment that he has given us. A great example of this, I, I think, is Little House on the Prairie. And it's the episode called The Inheritance, season 4, episode thir- 18. Season 4, episode 18. My daughter's like, man, I, I you know the, those episodes there. I like Little House, man. I will tell you, it's a little secret. When, when, when sometimes when I wake up, or most of the time when I wake up, I'm a very emotional person. You know, I'm, I'm usually macho, but you know, in the morning, you know, I get a little emotional, and, and sometimes I turn the TV on, and Little House is on there, and I start, like, <gasps> I start crying, and so it, 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 I it's, it's like Little House. So Little House. Here's this story. Charles has just received a great inheritance from his uncle. His uncle owned like some buggy company. And this lawyer comes out and says, hey, I want you to know that your your uncle has passed away, but you have received this great inheritance. It's huge, huge. And, uh, and I will bring this to you in a little bit. And so Charles is excited. And, and so, you know, he's like, man, I got all this money coming. My uncle's got this successful buggy company. I'm looking forward. This is great. And, and all of a sudden he starts saying, you know what? Man, Caroline, why don't you just go and get some new clothes? Girls, why don't you go get some new clothes? And I'm going to go get some new tools. And and I'm going to get some things for the home and the farm. And and he puts it all on credit. And then all of a sudden, people from town understand that he's got this big inheritance coming. and, And, you know, when you get a lot of money you know, people find out. And so the preacher comes up and says, hey, we need a new church bell in the school. Hey, we need some new books. And everyone's coming. And Charles, being the nice guy of the year, says, no problem, no problem, no problem. And he gets this. And finally, he gets the inheritance. And he opens up this box. And he realizes that it's Confederate money. And it's worthless. It's worthless. And now he has this big lien on his farm from all the credit that he took out. and, And he's got all these obligations. And Finally, he goes up to Mrs. Olson, and Mrs. Olson, we won't say that she represented the devil, but she was mean. She was mean usually at the time, you know, and and she goes up to, to Mr. Olson and Mrs. Olson at the general store and says, listen... Uh, I I don't have anything, and she says I, my creditors are asking me, and I need that. If you don't pay me, I'm gonna auction off your house. I'm gonna auction off everything you have because I need payment. And so Charles couldn't, and he didn't know what to do. And and so finally, Mrs. Olson said, "We're gonna auction it off," and goes off and gets this auctioneer, and and then. The scene is is where the auctioneer comes on that day, and and his friends, Charles's friends, and the community gather, and 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 but no one else is coming, and so. So finally, the auctioneer says, I got to get going. I got another auction to do later on, and, and I got I to get going. And so finally, they said, okay, let's let's get started. And so they start opening the bid, and and he has this brand new set of DeWalt tools. Man, these things are like nice looking, right? And he's got these brand new shiny tools, and the auctioneer says, okay, this is a great deal. Who wants to give $10? And I'm, I'm thinking, man, $10? I'll, I'll take it for $10, but $10 is a lot of money back then. And Who wants to do it for $10? And finally you know, finally the preacher says, I'll take it for a penny. And, um, and they said, well, (laughs) okay, you're funny. Let's, let's start off at $5. And then all of a sudden another friend says, I got two pennies. And the auctioneer says, you know, you can't be doing this. And this is, this isn't right. And, and finally the town says, wait a minute, the law says you need two bids. You have two bids. Well, they end up buying it for two pennies, end up buying the horses for two pennies, end up buying the entire farm for two pennies. And so the, everything sold for six cents. And they finally go into the, 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 the Charles goes into the farmhouse, and, and he says, listen, everything's gone. Everything was gone. And, um, and they said, well, I just, you know, it's terrible. And, but we bought it all for six cents, and you can pay us whenever you get it back. The burden that you feel of losing everything and knowing that you can't pay it and that you're stuck in this debt that you can't pay is that same type of feeling that we have. when We know that we can never pay for the sin and, the, and provide enough payment to the Father to, to wipe it away. And Jesus did that. Jesus did that, except the difference is we don't have to pay six cents in order to get the payment all we have to do is ask him to forgive us because he already paid that price and the freedom that we have the debt that we have been released from can only be found in jesus can only be found in jesus the third thing that john wants to remind us he wants to let us know that he loves us he wants to let us know that he has made a payment for us but finally jesus changes us he changes us he said that He's made us to be a kingdom and a priest to serve his God and Father. He made us to be a kingdom and a priest to serve his God and Father. We are priests because of Jesus. We are priests. 1 Peter 2 tells us, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. But verse 9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you were not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a royal priesthood. Why is this so important? It is important because being a priest is someone who mediates between God and the people. They are a responsible. The priests were responsible for the worship at the temple. They were responsible for the presence of God. And Jesus now says, listen, no longer do you have to go to a temple. No longer do you have to be a part of a certain family group. No longer do you have to do any of those things. I have made you into a priesthood, and you have direct access to God Jesus changes us. As he says, he's made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve God, our Father. We have been made into a priesthood so that we can have direct access to God. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, it tells us that don't you know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? No longer is it in a temple in a physical location, but he is inside of you and you are responsible for the presence of God. We have been made to be a part of the priesthood, and we also have been made to be a part of his kingdom. We've made to be a part of his kingdom. You know, I love the fact that Peter tells us that we have been given the right to participate in the divine nature. We're not just people here on earth. We're not just people that are just here because of some big bang and and we're just here by some accident. We have been created and designed to live here and God has given us this kingdom of the earth and to rule and to over those things. This is what we were designed to do and we lost that because of sin. But Jesus came back, and he loves us, he forgave us, and now he changes us, and he makes us into a priesthood, into a kingdom, into a people that are now his. This is why it's so important to understand before we continue on in the book of Revelation to know that it is Jesus who loves us and it never changes, Jesus who forgives us and you don't have to repay it, and Jesus who changes us from who we were to who we are. We are people of the kingdom of God. We need to live like that. We need to act like that. We need to believe those things because the devil will always try to convince you that you are not special to God, that you're not worthy, that you're not good enough, that that Jesus just likes everybody else except you. He's always trying to convince us of that. Why? Because our status in the kingdom has nothing to do with us, but it has to do with the fact that Jesus has given us permission to be there. We were invited one time to go to a, a corporate banquet, and, and, um, and so we were there, me and, and a few of the kids, because some of them were at home sick, and, and so we go there, and, and we were not a part of this corporation. We didn't work for this corporation. We were just invited by a friend who was a manager at this corporation, and we were invited to this big old party. And we were sitting up in one of those um, booths, you know, where you have the private banquet at a basketball game. We were in one of those private suites and we sat there and we were excited because we were authorized to be there. And they come around, "How you doing good?" You know, they're probably wondering what store I work for, what man, you know, what how long I've been a manager. I'm just there cuz once again, free food. You know, and they were invited us to this big party, and we were there, and when the food was out, when the food was laid out, I looked at my kids and I said, "Listen, kids, we are not worthy to be a part of this corporation. We were we we're only invited. We're outsiders. We don't have any right to participate in the food." And the table that has been presented. Are you kidding me? I said, kids, ma'am, you fill up your plate. My daughter Lily was there. She was younger at the time. And I was putting on these hot and spicy buffalo wings. She says, dad, I don't even like buffalo wings. I said, quiet. I'll take care of those later. You know, I was filling up her plate, filling up my Why? Because we were there as people of the corporation invited. Jesus has changed us. We are no longer outsiders. We are a part of the kingdom of God live like that act like that pray like that believe like that i i just have simple faith in the lord i really do i just believe that he loves me i believe that his love will never fail i believe that when i ask for forgiveness he forgives me and that's it now it's different when i make mistakes with my wife i have to ask over and over and over and then she says i'll think about it but when i ask the lord When I asked the Lord, Father, and even this morning I prayed, may your name be praised and exalted. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive me of my sins. And when I said that, I believed at that moment that I am truly forgiven. And because of that, I have the right to participate in the divine nature, not because of me, but because of him, because of Jesus So three things I just want you to remember, that Jesus loves you, and it is unfailing, that Jesus forgives you, and he will forgive every detail, every sin that you have, and Jesus has changed you, you are now a part of the kingdom as a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And when God sees you, he doesn't see your past. He doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see your status. He sees that is my child who is a part of my kingdom. Come on in. You're welcome here. That's why John wants to give us an overcharacterization of Jesus because he wants us to know that this Jesus, who is going to tell us what is to come, is the one who loves you, forgives you, and changes you. Let's live like that. Let's be people who live like that. Amen?